You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. We're in this series called Awaken Volume 2. And the series kind of verse that we're kind of meditating on, looking to possibly memorize, is uh, Psalm 1. We there? Psalm 119, 88. It says this. It says, revive me according to your loving kindness. Revive me according to your loving kindness kindness. And, and here's, here's the idea is for us to have revival. We don't revive ourselves. We, we don't give ourselves CPR. We don't give ourselves spiritual CPR. That comes from someone else. Spiritual CPR comes from God. So we ask God, God, would you revive us? Not because we deserve it, but because of your loving kindness. Amen. Hey, so everybody online, Lake County, Apopka, let's say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Revive me according to your loving kindness. Psalm 119, 88. And that's our heart. God, would you revive us? Would you revive first and foremost me, then my, my family, and then my neighborhood, my workplace, and then by your kindness, all of Central Florida. And that's our prayer. That's called revival. And, and the reason I'm passionate about revival, it's really simple. About a little over five years ago, when God called us uh, back to Orlando, we were in Atlanta, called us back to Orlando, brought us to Journey Christian Church. And I really felt strong that God gave me a clear, very clear job description five years ago. And it was really simple. It was to pray and to prepare for revival. And, and ever since then, I've had that in my office and I have it in my new office now. And this is just plastered right when I walk in my office. This is my job description, pray and prepare for revival. I don't want to just pray for revival. I need to prepare. I need to prepare myself. I need to prepare our staff. We as a church need to be prepared. The last thing I want is for God to bring revival to Central Florida and we miss it. And so we need to not only pray for a fresh move of God, we need to prepare for it. And that's what this series is all about. And it's, it's really illustrated with this graph as well. And there's kind of four components that we're looking at in this series to, to revival. It's uh, when a community of people hunger and thirst for more of God. That's a sign of revival when we hunger and thirst. And so we start here. And when we hunger and thirst for more of God, we get in the presence of God like never before. And when we get in front of a holy God, we realize I'm not holy. And that leads to confession. And that's a good thing. And when I confess and get right with God, that allows us to hear the Holy Spirit more, not just hear the Holy Spirit more, but to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to not only hear what he wants us to do, but then go and do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then when God uh, allows us to act on behalf of the Holy Spirit, to, to fuel us through the Holy Spirit, he does that so that we can proclaim Christ publicly. And that's what Easter's all about. In the next couple of weeks, we want to proclaim Christ publicly. That's why everybody coming in and leaving, that's why we're giving out Easter invites. We want to proclaim the name of Christ right now in this season. More people will say yes to an invitation to church than almost any time in the calendar year. And so these are the four components to revival. And this is kind of where we're going after. I remember for me, well, my best friend, when we were teenagers, we were growing up and he had a side hustle of mowing lawns. Anybody mow lawn as a side hustle growing up? Yeah. So, so uh, there was uh, this kind of, uh, my buddy, he would do this and he was the one doing it. And I would just kind of help him. And so one of the things I would do is I would help him from time to time, often a lot. And this one time the lawnmower broke 
and, and I had a feeling I knew what the problem was. The, the blade wasn't working as, as well as it should. It either needed to be replaced or I needed to sharpen it. And so I turn it over on its side and I, and I go to take the blade off. And, and listen, I, I was old enough to know righty tighty, lefty loosey, right? And so I'm doing it in the right direction. I'm doing it for like 20 minutes and it won't budge. I get a pipe. I get other tools. I do everything I can to help move it and it won't budge at all. And then my buddy comes from the backyard to the front yard and he sees me and he's like, he's like, what's wrong? I said, I'm trying to take this off. And he goes, man, I don't know why, but with this lawnmower, it, the, the threads on the bolt are actually the opposite. Uh, it's not righty tighty. It's the opposite. And sure enough, as soon as I did it that way, it immediately came off. Now, here's the deal. I could have been doing it for hours my way and it never would have worked. It doesn't matter how good my heart was. It doesn't matter how anything, I was doing it the wrong way. And until I understood how it was designed and did it that way, it never would have worked. It's the same thing in life. You could try as hard as you want. And some of you are trying to the point where you are exhausted mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And you're just trying, 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 trying. And God says, listen, if you would just make one tweak, because I know how you're wired. If you would just go the opposite way of culture, if you would just do some things a little bit different, I promise you, your life's gonna be so much better and so much easier. That's what obedience is all about. God's not trying to get you. He's trying to make your life better. That's what we're talking about today. And Jesus understood this. Jesus got this principle in Luke 22, verse 42. He's about to be led away to be crucified, to be tortured, to be stripped naked. He knows all of this. And he prays one of the most powerful prayers. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That is the heartbeat of Christianity. I have a will. God, I want to do this today. But listen, not my will. What's your will? God, I want this in my relationships, but it's not about me. What do you want? God, I want to do this with my possessions, but not my will. Your will be done. I want to illustrate it with this graph. This is a, a, a graph of my will on this side and God's will on this side. And, and God's will has all these things that he's wanting me to do. And I don't know about you, but there's a whole bunch of things that's in my will. And, and a lot of times they, they don't overlap, but then there's this small sliver that they do overlap. For example, I want to be a good father. Like I want to be a good father. And guess what? That's part of God's will. God wants me to be a good father. And so one of the things I'll do, I don't know about you, is I'll be a good father. And it's in this area. And I'm like, yeah, I'm following God's will. No, I'm not. I'm doing what I want. It just so happens to be. It also is what God wants. You know what I'm saying? The question is, when there's something over here that is so far away from my will, how do we respond to that? God says, I want you to forgive that person that hurt you. It's getting quiet. <laughs> Listen, I want you to have sexual integrity. And God says, I have a will and you have a will. And what Christianity is doing, it's laying down your will and picking up his. And we do that the first day we come to Jesus and we think it's a one-time deal. Salvation is a one-time deal, but there's a word called sanctification, meaning that we are continually getting closer and closer, becoming more and more like Christ the more we lay down our will and take up his will. And over time, as we come closer to Christ, it should look more like this. The, the sweet spot should grow. 
Because what I ultimately want, the more I follow Jesus, would align with the heart of the Father, the more I spend time with the Father. And so the more that I spend time with them, the more that sweet spot grows. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on the screen. Or if you don't have a Bible at all, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Or you could download our app or download the Bible U version app. There's about 200 million ways to read the Bible. You can pick one of them, okay? <laughs> if it's the Bible and see back in front of you, it's page 833. Now, it's really important I give you the context of what I'm about to read to you. Jesus is coming on the tail end of what has been known as the greatest sermon ever recorded, which is a major statement. The greatest sermon ever recorded. It's, it starts in Matthew 5, and it goes Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then in, at the end of chapter 7, which is where we're going to pick up, this is Jesus' big conclusion. This is when Jesus brings out the keyboardist, and he says, hey, I'm about to end. And he ends with this statement in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Jesus says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." Some of y'all are like, does that mean I'm not supposed to own a house at the beach? That's not what this is about. I am pro own a house at the beach, okay? I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. He preached a sermon and he says, listen, based on two things, it's going to determine if you're wise or foolish. Based on two things. And the first sentence, if you pull up verse 24, here's the two things. Therefore, everyone who this is the first one. Here's these words of mine. So the first thing we have to do is we have to hear. In order for us to obey God, we first have to know what he's telling us to say. Like, God, what do you want us to know? That's the hearing. We need to hear what God's telling us. And then after that, he says, puts them into practice. You see, one of the things that we've accidentally done in the American church is we thought following Jesus meant hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And I don't have to live in this camp, the doing. I just need to hear more sermons and hear and more Bible studies, and more Bible studies. And God said, that's actually foolishness. It's actually when you hear and do that makes you wise. It's when you put them in to practice. Knowing and doing. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, in the Hebrew context, there was no distinction between knowing and doing. Knowing was doing, and doing was knowing. Mark Twain, I think, illustrates this really well. He says he, he ran across this uh, really arrogant and ruthless businessman that also proclaimed to be a, a really, really devout Christian. He, he would make his faith known, but he was also pretty much a jerk. And this guy told Mark 20, he said, he said, my goal is to go to, to the Holy Land, to go to Israel, to go on top of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and then read the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. That was his goal. And Mark, with courage, just said, well, instead of going to the Holy Land and doing that, why don't you stay here in Boston and actually live them out? <laughs> Stepping on some toes. You see, why is it for us, some of us, maybe just me, that it can be so much easy to, easier to talk about 
God's commands than to live the commandments of God. And I don't know if you know this, but it is impossible to say this phrase, no Lord. That's impossible to say. You cannot say the phrase no Lord because the moment you say no, he's no longer Lord. So we cannot, it's not possible to say no Lord to Jesus. We can tell God no, but we can't say no Lord because if we tell him no, then he's not our Lord. What we say to the Lord is yes, yes, sir. What you need right away, because I'm not the master, I'm the servant. So we need to hear the word of God and then we need to do the word of God. And I want to briefly touch base on hearing the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about hearing the Holy Spirit and then doing the Holy Spirit. And listen, we can spend hours and hours and hours on the Holy Spirit and hearing the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to break it down really, really quick in a couple minutes. Some of you are like, what do you mean the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of uh, uh, the three-in-one God that we believe in. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a triune God. All God equal parts. And there is no good way to illustrate this that I'm aware of. The best way that I can know, and every analogy has its holes, but I'm going to do my best, is with H2O, with water. Okay, water comes in the form of a mist, like a gas. But also water comes as a liquid, as we know. And then when you freeze it, it comes as a solid. Three different forms of H2O, but all the same thing. That's a close picture of God. There there are three different ways that God uh, uh, expresses himself. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus gathers the disciples and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to go away. They don't quite understand what he's saying, but he said, I'm going to go away. And they start murmuring like, what do you mean go away? He's like, it's okay. It's better because I'm going to do the old uh, tag team wrestling. Y'all know the tag team wrestling. He's like, I'm going to tag the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bounce, but the Holy Spirit's going to come in. And that's actually better because right now, as Pastor Kevin Queen shared a little bit ago, a couple months ago, he said, right now it's only one on 12. But when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is in you. It's one on one. And so now what we do is we have the Holy Spirit in us to, to guide us, to comfort us, to convict us. And, and Jesus is telling the, whole, the disciples, this is a good thing. And so Jesus leaves and he gives us the Holy Spirit. There's throughout history, throughout scripture, you can hear the Holy Spirit. You can experience the Holy Spirit in a whole bunch of different ways. God speaks any way he wants. But let me just tell you briefly some commonalities. So if you're looking like, hey, I I don't really know what to do with my life. I don't hear God's direction. Let me give you some commonalities. This is not the only way, but this is where a lot of Christians hear God. The first one is this. It's when we open up what we call the word of God, the Bible. There is a supernatural thing that takes place when we read the Bible, when we hear the Bible, either from someone else or from a sermon. And so I would encourage you to get into the Bible. Listen to worship music. I love worship music. God speaks through biblically based, theologically based worship. And we just had a great experience at both campuses where we got to do that. By prayer, we hear God through prayer when we both talk and listen and and meditate on it. When we're in life groups, when we're in Bible studies, we are giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to us. And here's what it's like when we hear God, when we come together at church like you're doing right now, it's a lot like a huddle. In, In football, what we do is we huddle together. Now, I don't know how much you know about football, but the whole point of the huddle, you don't get any points when you huddle. You don't get any points. What they're doing during the huddle is the quarterback right here. The quarterback is telling everybody what the play is. And then everybody goes out and runs a different route. And here's, here's the challenge, church. Sometimes the church can think the huddle is what we're supposed to do all day, every day. 
Listen, this isn't what makes us Christians the huddle. This is where we hear the play. And then what we do is we stack hands and we say, ready, break. And then we go Monday through Saturday and we run the route God's called us to run. Because that's going from hearing, we get the play, and then we run the play. And some of us are running the play and we're running routes that God never told us to run because we weren't in the huddle first. So you got to go in the huddle. God, what do you tell me to do? The answer is yes, sir. Then we run the play. I saw this played out um, several years ago. I've only been, I've shared this a little bit. I've only been to one NASCAR race, but I've never shared this story before. The, the race was in Charlotte. It was at Motor Speed. I don't know, Charlotte. There's a racetrack in, in Charlotte. Some of y'all are going to come and tell me, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't care, okay? So there's a racetrack. It goes around and around. It's in Charlotte somewhere, Okay. And, and in, in racing, I don't know how much you know about racing, most of us think that there's just a driver, but there's actually an entire team that helps the driver. Okay, one of the people on the team, his job, it's called the spotter. And what he does is he goes on top of a big tower, has binoculars, and he just does this the whole time. I don't know how he doesn't get dizzy. I'm talking hours, folks. So the spotter's job is to look ahead of the race car and spot anything that would slow him down. If there's going to be a wreck, if there's going to be a different turn and what he does, they have walkie talkies and he says, all right, around turn number three, you need to go high around turn number four. You need to go low. You need to stay to your left. You need to follow the number three car. You need to get out of the number three. He's just constantly telling him. And I can't imagine being a driver, listening to the spotter that sees something that I don't see and me being going, nah, I'm good. I'm going to risk it. (laughs) Thanks, but no, thanks. Like no driver does that. And so when you go to these NASCAR events, they want you to experience as much of the real action as possible. And so they had this one thing set up where it was this big racetrack, remote control racetrack. And and what they would do is they would give, they would put you in teams and they would give one person a remote control, but then they would blindfold them with toilet paper. This is my son. This is my brother. He's not fooling anybody. I know what he's trying to do when you look up, like... So my son and I are on the same team. My dad and my brother right here, okay, are on another team. The whole idea is my son can't see, but he can control. I can see, but I don't have the controller. So I'm on the other side and I have headphones on. I can see the whole track. They can't see. And so I'm saying, Riley, you need to turn left. Riley, slow down. Riley, speed up. Riley, this is what you need to go. Go high, go low. I'm constantly telling him and he's listening. And we just destroyed. And I mean destroyed my dad and my brother. As a matter of fact, I wasn't paying attention to what they were doing. I was focused on the race. And all I could hear was my brother and my dad kind of getting agitated with one another. Like, they're just like getting frustrated. I don't understand. What do you mean? And go faster. Like, I had no idea. So when we finished the race, I take these off and I look over at my dad and I realize what the problem was. My dad also blindfolded himself. (laughs) I kid you not. It was the blind leading the blind. Seriously, like no wonder they were frustrated. No wonder we cruised to victory. Like no, like they literally had totally missed the directions. And I feel like sometimes we could do that where we're the blind leading the blind. And, and here's God. God is our spotter. And God's saying, hey, listen, you need to go high. 
Hey, hey, listen, you need to go low. Hey, listen, go to your neighbor and offer them a meal. And you're like, I don't understand. You don't need to understand. Just do what the Holy Spirit tells you because the Holy Spirit has a view that you don't see. That God knows things that you don't know. That's why radical obedience is a part of what God's doing. And the, the only time we would not do what the spotter tells us is when we lack trust in the spotter. So the question is, why? Like, I think about that. Sometimes I don't have radical obedience. I'm like, God has a perfect record in my life. Never disappointed. Why would I ever doubt the spotter? And so I don't know where you've been hurt. I don't know why you lack faith, but don't put that on the spotter. Don't put that on the father. He only wants to see you win in this life in the life to come. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen, I just shared that story with my parents uh, or about my dad. I promise you, we laughed about that for years. I mean, it is, it is, pretty, it is pretty humorous for our family. <laughs> so over here, we hear what God wants to do. And then what do we do after that? I love this verse in Hebrews. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Isn't that good? So, okay, we hear it. I got my play in the huddle. And here's what we can do in the huddle sometimes is, 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 is quarterbacks are hard for this because they only have one football and they got a, a whole bunch of people on their team, but they can only give it to one person. And sometimes we get in the huddle and we don't like the play that God just spoke. And so we want to run our own thing, but we have the huddle now and God says, okay, ready, break. And God says, be careful, be, be smart that you don't refuse him who speaks. So then the next part is obeying the Holy Spirit. James 1.22 says this, do not merely listen to the word of God, so deceive yourselves, do what it says. I love what Eugene Peterson says, pastor, he said this, he said, a Christian who stays put is no better than a statue. When we just hear, 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 we're statues, we just stay put. When was the last time that you got out of the Christian statue and actually did what God was calling you to do? We've been following Christ for a little bit. We can get stuck into being a statue and it's okay because we have nice ribbons to make us look good and feel good. But when was the last time that you've done something radical in the form of obedience? Don't get stuck in being a statue. That's why we say around here, there's always a next step when following Jesus. That's what, that's what the Rooted Celebration is about, man. There's so many people that are saying, listen, I'm hearing what God's doing and now I'm doing what God's telling me. I love that. I love the obedience of those in Rooted. Most of us don't need to know more. We need to do more with what we know. Some people need education, but I believe most of us don't need more education. We need more courage. And so get around other courageous people. Get around people that have big faith. Let them inspire you. That's my prayer for us. We heard a story in Matthew 7 about Jesus talking about building a house. There's another story I've heard this is not from the Bible. I've just heard this for years about a, a contractor that's about to retire. My dad's a retired contractor and, and builder. And so I, I can kind of understand this. And this contractor is about to retire. And, and, and just as he's about to retire, his boss comes to him and says, hey, listen, I need you to build one more house. And the guy's like, man, there, no, I'm about to retire because houses take a long time to build. He's like, no, give that to somebody else. He's like, I really, really, really would love you to build it. He says, no, please, would you build it? He finally says, yes. He says, now here's the deal. I want you to spend as much money, make it as lavish as possible. Money is no object for this client. I want you to do everything to the best of your ability. He says, okay, sure, sure, whatever. But he wants to retire. So what he does is instead of doing what his boss told him, he tried to do things as fast as possible. So he ended up cutting corners. 
Most of the corners were things that none of us would know. It would, it would be things that nobody would see or can tell until maybe a year or two down the road. And by then it was too late. And so he kind of built it in record time because of all the corners he cut. And then he ended and he went to his boss, said, hey, the house is complete, gave him the keys. And he said, hey, listen, I just, I'm done. I'm going to retire now. And he says, did you do what I asked? He said, yeah, did you do it to the best of your ability? Did you make it you know, extravagant? He said, he said, yeah, I did exactly what you wanted. He said, good, because I want to give you your retirement present. And he sank because what he didn't realize that the house he was building was the house he was going to live in. I don't know why we do this. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but I don't know why we do this. We think when God tells us to do something with obedience that we're building somebody else's house. And God's like, listen, you can do whatever you want. I'm just telling you, you're building your house. And when you cut corners, you're not just hurting me, you're hurting you. He said, there is a life that I am telling you about that is better for you. Not just better for me, it's better for you. It's better for your family. And when you're going fast, when you're cutting corners, you're ultimately hurting yourself. We all have to live with the houses we built. When people are on their deathbed, they regret a lot of different things. In my experience, I'm not saying they're not out there, but in the years I've been a pastor, I've never heard anybody regretting obeying God. Never once. Sometimes obedience to God will come with a sacrifice. And even when that happens, I've never heard anybody regretting it. I don't know if you noticed in the rooted video, the very first one, it's a beautiful picture of Laurel. I love this. You can go ahead and put it up. This is Laurel. She says it was all about me. Now it's all about him. You know, to me, another way of saying this, not my will, but your will be done. That's what she's saying. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, we are, we are a new creation. No longer is it about me, but I'm a new creation in Christ. That's what it means to surrender the old life, pick up a new life. Listen, I don't know why everybody, everybody has different reasons for lifting their hands in worship. And I'm not suggesting there's a right or wrong way or even you have to do it or don't do it. I'll just tell you why I do it. The universal sign for surrender. You go any in the world, anywhere in the world, point a gun at somebody and they're gonna lift their hands. It's the universal sign of surrender. And for me, when I lift my hands, it's a reminder to God that I surrender whatever it is to you. And it's not a one-time surrender, it's a daily surrender. John Ortberg says this, he says, there is no way for a human being to come to God that does not involve surrender. There's a story of a monkey. It's called a ringtail monkey. Very, very difficult to capture. And one community, one tribe realized as, as elusive as these are, it's really, really easy to capture this monkey if you just take this melon and cut a small hole in the top of it. And what the monkey would do is they would eat the seeds. And so the monkey would stick its hand in the melon, which would fit. But then when it would grab the seeds, it would make a fist and it would not be able to pull its hand out of the melon. And what would happen is as elusive as these animals were, when it would get the seeds, they, nothing would make the, uh, the monkey let go of the seeds. And so what would happen is you could literally walk up to a monkey that is so difficult to catch and just pick it up. 
because it refused to let go of the seeds. You see, it thought it was getting life, nutrition for its body, but what it was doing, it was actually, it was actually capturing itself. It was in the letting go of the seeds. It was in the surrender of what was in their hands that they would find freedom. Some of us have been clenching to something for far too long. Some of us have been clenching to a relationship and making the relationship our God. Some of us have made our careers our God. Some of us have made money our God. Some of us, uh, whatever it is, we've been clenching to something, thinking that's where you find freedom, but it's in the letting go of that and clinging to Christ that you find the freedom that you are designed for. The beauty is you get to drive whatever you want, wherever you want, but there's a spotter that's for you. There's a spotter that's with you and he's cheering you on every step of the way. May we be a church that daily, not one time, but daily, let's go of whatever the world wants to hold on to and we pick up the cross and we follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. And God, I just pray for me and for my friends and everybody listening online, God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for the times that you've been the voice in our, in our walkie-talkie telling us to, to, to go left, to go right? You've been our spotter, and instead of trusting you, we've said, no thanks, we think we could take it from here. And how many times have we crashed and burned trying to do it on our own? And I'm not trying to be harsh, but in those moments, that's what you call us. You just say, that's foolishness. But you said there's a better way. There's a wise way when we hear your words and put them into practice. God, would you give us the courage to be obedient this week with whatever it is you're calling us to do? No matter how radical it may seem, for some of us, it might be having a conversation about Easter with a coworker. For some of us, it might be leaving a relationship or beginning one or selling something or picking something, whatever it is for all of us, it's different. Would you give us the courage to do what you're calling us to do? In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.